0: Earlier this month was the 11th of the 11th, Remembrance Day, it was on a Sunday. And uh, we were asked to ring our bells because at the end of World War II, the bells had been quiet, sorry, World War I, the bells had been quiet the whole time during the war. At the end of the war, all the bells rang across the land. And so we were asked to do that on uh, 11 a.m. on the 11th. And Remembrance Day is important because Remembrance Day, I was surprised at the amount of um, heroes that they were showing on television. And not just the First World War, but the Second World War, Korea, Vietnam, Iraq, Afghanistan, other places too. And they're showing these heroes have been awarded the Victoria Cross. And they've done some amazing things. they would saved lives. They put their own life in great danger to save the lives of others. And they were genuine heroes. And it's good to have your heroes. I mean, I had heroes as a child. When I was growing up, I used to have heroes in their comic books. All these really great characters, Superman and all these other people. And then... I realised that they weren't real when I was about six or seven or something like that. And I thought they're not real, they pretend. And then I was really surprised because then Superman came on TV. And now I saw other characters on TV. Oh, and they really are alive. They're not just in comic books. But then I outgrew that too. Or I hope I have anyway. It's a like watching those shows sometimes, but I know they're not real. Everyone loves to have their heroes. Because if you've got a hero, even a sporting hero... I mean, they, they win the game for your team. You're excited by them playing. You, you just you know, really look forward to seeing them. They're great to know. We enjoy heroes. And heroes are something that's popular. But we've got, we're going to hear tonight about someone who is a hero, and it's Jesus. But even the fictional characters created by the, you know, the Marvel series and all those other ones are nothing compared. They're trivial compared to what Jesus did and continues to do today and will do in the future. Jesus is by himself he is a hero let's have a look at him the picture we're seeing in Colossians is about Jesus and in Colossians chapter 1 we're looking at verse 15 he is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation Jesus is the image of the invisible God at that time it was written even now people are saying where is God what does he look like who is God but the people who who were alive when Jesus walked around in Israel could actually meet God face to face. He was God. He was God made man, and it says he's the firstborn over creation. And some people think firstborn that means he was the first created being. That means he's not really God. But that's not really accurate because in the Greek, if Paul had wanted to write that, he would have used a special Greek word to say that. But the word he uses talks about Jesus being supreme over creation, being sovereign, um, being correct as as the first of all creation, first in time, first in priority, first in sovereignty, not first made. He was already existing. And it goes on to talk more about him and creation in verse 16 that helps explain that a bit more. In verse 16 it says, For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority, all things were created by him and for him. So he wasn't the first created being, he actually created everything. Through him and by him things were created. And I love what it says now in verse 17. It goes on to expand on that. He is before all things, in him all things hold together. He was before all things because he created all things, but in him all things hold together. He didn't just create things and walk away and said, okay, I'll leave you alone, go for it. He's actually sustaining things right now in the universe, in us. He's the unifying principle of life. He's involved in creation day in and day out, all things. Are subjected to him, and we continue to exist because Jesus holding us together, He's sustaining us in creation around us. And it goes on to talk more about Him in verse eighteen. And He is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from whom from among the dead, so in everything He might have supremacy. He's the head of the church. He's the one by which uh, the church is directed and ruled and controlled. And he's the firstborn from the dead. He was the first to rise from the dead. He opened up resurrection. His resurrection opened up eternal life to all of us. There were others who did rise from the dead. We know about Lazarus. We know about Jairus' daughter in the Gospels. But they all died again. Jesus, when he rose, he never died. He rose into eternal life. And so he's now supreme in all things, even ro- not just creating things and controlling things, but also opening up life beyond this world to us. He is supreme. He's the greatest. He's the most powerful. We have some sort of supreme things we know about. I mean, I always think of supreme pizza, but you can't compare Jesus to supreme pizza. I mean, supreme pizza's got the works, but Jesus got the works, but he's it's too trivial. Think of the court system. Courts have power. Courts control things. Courts make decisions about people's lives, but also make decisions that affect the, the country's laws. And our state, the highest court is the Supreme Court for civil and criminal matters. Yes, you can appeal to the High Court, but only appeal that's the Supreme Court that makes the decisions. And if you go beyond our country to America, the Supreme Court is the highest court, full stop, in America. It's also the highest court in England, Scotland or Wales. It used to be the House of Lords, but in 2009 they changed that and now it's the Supreme Court, it's the ultimate court there. And that's what supreme means. Supreme means the peak, the pinnacle, the top. Everything else is below that. And Jesus is supreme. Everything else is below Jesus. And that's what the Bible is telling us tonight very clearly. And verse 19 goes on more to say. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. God was pleased. God God was uh, voluntary sending his son. John 3.16, we read it at the beginning of the communion service, didn't it? God wasn't forced to send his son. God so loved us, he sent his son. God was pleased to do it. He wanted to do it. He wanted to send his son, Jesus, in all the fullness of God being made man to live among us. So Jesus is supreme. He is God made man. He comes for a reason to reconcile everything to God the Father. Verses 20 to 23, 22. Verse 20. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Genesis chapter 3 is presupposed here because at the beginning of the Bible, Genesis 1 2, everything was good, everything was perfect, everything was happy and harmony, it was a great place to live on earth. God was there, heaven and earth were one place. Genesis chapter 3, it all changed. Adam and Eve disobeyed God, rebelled against him, ate of the tree he said not to eat of, and that's where sin came into creation. And everything else after that was marred, and God came and and uh, brought curses on them. They were going to die. Our life would be hard. They cursed the ground. Uh, The world wasn't such a great place after that. And ever since then, there's been a need for reconciliation because now we're separated from God and we need to be brought back to God. And saying here that Jesus reconciles all things, things on heaven and, and earth, he's reconciling them, bringing them back to God and making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Doesn't mean all people are going to be saved but does mean that when jesus died on the cross he took the punishment for our sins so that we could be reconciled we could be forgiven and brought back to god and all people are in trouble because they're going to hell unless they have jesus they can't be right with god they're in great danger and jesus made peace when he did that making peace he triumphed over his enemies That's what peace is. You don't have any enemies. You triumph over your enemies. And Jesus has made peace with all God's enemies, those that were trying to disrupt God's great plan. Verse 21 goes on more to talk about why we needed to be reconciled. Once you are alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour. Enemies don't really think of myself before as a christian as an enemy of god i didn't i didn't realize i was an enemy of god i thought i was just saying okay god you do your things i'll do mine and when i need help i'll come to you but then i'll just do my own thing i didn't think i was an enemy of god but that's what it looks like to god when you're not following him when you're ignoring him and disobeying him you're an enemy you're on the other side There's no in-between. There's no middle ground. You're either for God or you're on the other side. You're an enemy. That's a big thing to realise you're an enemy of God, the creator of the universe, of the God who you're going to stand in judgement for before. And it's because of your evil behaviour. It's because of your self-centred behaviour, following self, not submitting to God. But the good news is in verse 22. But... Now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight without blemish, free from accusation. We're reconciled through Jesus Christ. Everything has changed. Jesus changes it all for us. Our broken relationship with God has been repaired. Jesus' death takes away our sin and our punishment we deserve. We're forgiven. We're reconciled with God and Ben and Richard's Re- reconciled were now without blemish, holy in his sight, free from any accusation. I know someone makes accusations in my head most of the time. Do you ever have that? I do something wrong and someone says, you've done it again, you sinner, why don't you just give up on God? You're a failure, you're corrupt, you're bad, you're evil. All these things come into my mind. You, who do you think accusing me? Yeah. I mean, yes, the Holy Spirit convicts us, but the Holy Spirit, when he convicts us, turns us back to God to seek the forgiveness of Jesus. He doesn't just keep going on trying to put you down. The Holy Spirit wants you to turn back to Jesus. But the other side just wants to put you down, crush you, break you, get you to give up, have a mental breakdown. If he can do that, he's really happy because he's really ripped you up. But we're going to be free from accusation because of Jesus. So when that rubbish starts coming, saying no. Jesus died for me, I'm forgiven. I'm saved by grace, I'm not saved by my good works. And in doing that, I now more appreciate what I have in Jesus. And that's a good thing. Jesus changes it all, and we're reconciled to God. And that goes on to talk about the need to continue in our faith. In verse 23, it begins with the word, If there's something that needs to happen. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel, continuing in your faith, continuing to to trust and obey Jesus, continuing to rely upon him to be right with God, that grace there, not not you earning it, not you saving yourself, continuing to rely on Jesus. Being firm against him because you will be challenged. Things will want to try and rock the boat and, and get you to turn away not move from the hope held out in the gospel. And that's really important. Because if you don't have a firm grasp on that hope, you're not going to keep going. You're going to give up. And hope means we keep striving forward. Hope motivates. Hope encourages. Hope gives us strength. And to me, the hope that I keep coming back to when these ugly things are coming to my head, Jesus died and he rose again, and that makes it really true that he did reconciles with God he does offer eternal life there is something true in Jesus and I have that hope too that he'll raise me and bring me home to God what about you how's your hope if you're normal your hope gets challenged if you're normal your hope gets buffeted around we need to keep strengthening our hope and looking again to Jesus hope is important for all who follow him then Paul says something curious. I almost thought of leaving out, but I thought, no, i better cover it. Verse 24. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. It could almost sound that point, that Jesus' death on the cross wasn't enough, and Paul had to suffer too to get right with God. Well, we've got to look at Paul, because Paul's speaking from experience. Can you go back to Paul, whose name was Saul? How did he come to meet Jesus? Acts chapter 9, the Damascus Road. He'd been a a, a zealous Jew who was a a Pharisee, who was really committed, one of the radical young leaders, who was really committed to getting rid of the name of Jesus Christ forever from history. And he was doing a good job because he was leading up people who were going through Jerusalem, hunting out Christians, locking them in prison, getting them tortured, some killed like Stephen. And the Christians were so fearful they had to flee north towards Galilee and he wasn't happy with that. He got letters of authority and soldiers and pursued them. And he pursued them right up to Galilee and they had then went beyond Galilee and veered slightly right and went over into Syria and Damascus and he kept following them from one country to another. He was going to chase them. To the ends of the earth and get rid of them three miles out of Damascus a blinding light appears to him uh, Acts chapter 9 verse 4 and in that blinding light Jesus talks to him and what does Jesus say to him Saul Saul why do you persecute me But how could Saul persecute Jesus? Because Jesus had risen from the dead. He was at the right hand of God the Father. Jesus in heaven. How can Saul persecute Jesus if he's in heaven? He can't. Who was Saul persecuting? The followers of Jesus. And so that's the connection. That's why Paul says here, Paul knows that when followers of Jesus are persecuted and suffer, that's suffering for Jesus. And Paul knows that that's going to happen because people who follow Jesus are going to continue to suffer. And Paul has this idea that there's some sort of predetermined amount of suffering that's going to have to happen. He doesn't know how much, but he knows there needs to be some suffering to happen. So he's happy to be the fall guy. He's happy to take it for the team. He's happy to be out there and people look to him and give him a hard time and leave the other Christians alone. That's what he's saying here. He's suffering and he doesn't mind suffering. If the others will be left alone and he'll bear the brunt of it, that's okay with him. That's what he's saying. And he goes on in verse 28 to say, We proclaim Christ, that's him, Jesus Christ, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so we may present everyone perfect in Christ. And Paul is proclaiming Jesus Christ proclaiming in these days, today you'd send a Twitter, would you? Or some other multimedia thing you'd send it out. Would you say how you do it? Tell me, guys, how do you do it? I'm still catching up on Facebook. What's the, what's the way you'd send out news tonight if you wanted to tell someone something? Snap? Snap. Twitter? Twitter. WhatsApp. WhatsApp? Okay, all that sort of stuff. <laughs> I'm sorry they didn't have electricity, and all those sort of things in Paul's day. So how did Paul proclaim? How did they do it in his day? Yes, he wrote this letter, didn't he? But that was pretty unusual because not all of them all could write letters and not all could read. You'd have to have someone to read out. That was a secondary way. How would they mainly proclaim? What was the word of mouth? Yes, preaching, but also getting on street corners. And Paul would do that. He would go to marketplaces and synagogues and other places and he'd talk about Jesus. If he'd get a couple of people listening, he'd start talking about Jesus and they'd listen. So it was word of mouth. And they were proclaiming Jesus. And why were they proclaiming Jesus? Because Jesus to Paul was his hero. He'd saved him. He'd rescued him. He did an amazing thing for Paul. And Paul was just so filled with joy and, and, and excited about Jesus that nothing else mattered. Even if he was going to suffer, it didn't matter. He wanted to tell people about Jesus. And he didn't want to just proclaim. Look what it says also proclaim the good news about Jesus, but also admonishing and teaching because. Admonishing says you're going the wrong way. You need to make a change. You need to turn back to God. And teaching is said, well, this is now how you need to respond to God. So he's, calling them, he's telling them about Jesus and he's calling them to turn back from where they're going and now respond to God by giving them teaching. He's proactive. And it's an urgent message because he knows if people don't respond, they're in huge trouble with God their creator. And what's he want to do? What's his aim in doing all this? To present everyone perfect in Christ. Not perfect in Paul, not perfect in the Anglican church, but in Christ. Christ is his focus. He wants people to know Christ and have more of Christ and never have enough of Christ. He knows if they do that, they'll never go wrong. What about us? What about us tonight? Can Jesus be our hero? Can he be our hero to the point where we're really excited about him? To the point we just we've got a smile on our face, a tingle going down his spine. We want to tell people about our hero because he's such a great guy. He's done something so amazing. You know, we want to. I just want to marvel at you know what he's done for me. And I marvel every time I sin. I marvel. Wow, he forgives me again and again and again and again. Wow. Let's keep doing that with Jesus. Let him be our hero. And let's see him as someone who's supreme. He's not a God. He's not one of the religions out there. He is the only God. He's the one who's created everything we see and know, the universe, what beyond we can't see. He created it. And the good news is he created it, but he controls it right now. He sustains it. And everything that happens, he controls and that makes a huge difference when things go wrong and, and when you're in danger or whatever, Jesus is controlling it. Life might be falling apart around you, but Jesus is controlling it. And if it's going to happen, then it's only going to happen if he wants it to happen. And it says a lot about praying, doesn't it? You know, we can pray about anything. Sometimes you know, we can make the mistake, oh, that's too big. No, it's not for Jesus. He's controlling everything. So that doesn't limit our prayers. And also when he's controlling anything, how do we pray? Sometimes I feel I've got to, I can't pray because I don't know enough of what's going on because I've got to tell God how to do it and if you don't tell him how to do it, nothing will happen. Duh. What a lot of rubbish. But it's almost a human thing to do that. And then instead, of it, I don't know what's happening, but God does. I'll just can ask him to look after it, commit it to him. I don't need to know the detail. In fact, he knows the detail more than any person involved anywhere does. So how does that affect our prayers? It should, shouldn't it? I want all tonight to go away from here and take another look at Jesus. And take another look, well, if he's our hero, if all this is true, what does it mean now for me? What does it mean for how I live? What does it mean for how I'm going to approach things this week? How I'm going to respond? And what does it mean, too, about the whole idea of proclaiming Jesus? I mean, you might not be a person who's going to go up to someone one-to-one and proclaim. And why don't you join us at Hannah Park Carols and help do serving over there? We're going to proclaim Jesus to thousands of people there. We do it at the Hawkesbury Show. And we have that. We do it at Restore here on Friday nights. We do it at waves over the road. We do it at Ripples. We do an SRE in Sunday school and, and, and so schools and, and primary and high schools every week. We're doing it as a church. Join up and help proclaim Jesus. Sometimes proclaiming Jesus, you don't have to be the upfront person. You can be behind the scenes doing things, but you're also helping in proclaiming Jesus. And we can all do that. Because as a group of followers of Jesus we need to proclaim him far and wide and yes, sometimes it'll be personal so sometimes a neighbour or or family person will say, well, why'd you go to church on Sunday or or what's this or what's that? They'll ask you a question and it'll it'll automatically give you an opportunity to talk something about Jesus and that's the time we need to bite the bullet and say, help me Jesus and, and bumble in and do something. Have a go. And remember, he controls all things. So if that's happening, we can ask him to help us. We can trust him to do that. Let me pray. Jesus, you're far greater than we can get our minds around. You are huge. You are beyond huge. You're awesome. You're you're unbelievably big. You created all things, you control all things. And yet you came into this world and you took our punishment suffered and died so that we could be forgiven and rose from the dead opening up a life to us and giving us a real hope And Jesus we're people who put our faith in you, we're trusting you to get us to heaven we're trying to obey you in our lives, we're people who want to love the way you love, we're people who want to have the hope that drives us forward with enthusiasm and motivation Lord Jesus we continue to live in a fallen world, we continue to face things that go wrong continue to fail we think you pick us up every time we do every time we turn to you and ask you forgiveness you forgive us you restore us you send us out again help us to be able to keep going jesus and help us to be stronger and stronger in you as we realize who you are and what you've done give us a greater view give us a greater passion and excitement for you jesus we want you to be our hero amen